So I need to warn you before I read the text and get into today's sermon that I'm doing too much today. The sermon tries to do too much and because uh, there's so much that needs to be done in regards to this text, but uh, bear with me. And um, maybe if I do too much, we'll all get a little, right? So that would be, uh, that would be my prayer today. We're going to read Genesis 27, verses 30 through 46. And um, just a quick recap as we enter into this. We've been looking at the uh, life of, of Jacob this summer. Uh, Jacob is the younger twin brother of uh, Esau, uh, both of them, their parents, Isaac and Rebekah. And um, God promised, contrary to cultural assumptions and conventions, that the younger son uh, would rule over the older son. And that set the whole family into um, a competition to figure out how that was going to work. And Esau sells his birthright, and Rebecca deceives her husband, and Isaac tries to counteract the promise of God, and Jacob wants to steal. Sounds like a family reunion. And so um, uh, that, that's what we're going to look at uh, today. But before I get to that text, uh, we're going to pick up that story right in the middle of the deception and the awful thing that happens there. Uh, but before uh, we get to that, let me pray. Father, we come to you today confessing our weakness, um, <clears throat> our um, blindness, and our coldness. And yet, uh, what we see here is uh, that uh, doesn't keep you from accomplishing your will and your purpose. And so I pray that you would uh, bless us as we look at our family here, as we see these people who, by faith, we are in their family and in their line. And so I pray that uh, you would encourage us today to look to Jesus. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Genesis 27, verses 30 through 46, that text uh, is in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. 
Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, and Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. He, he forgets what you have done to him. Pro- probably not super likely. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. These are Esau's wives. If Jacob marries one of these Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? And so that's how she covers sending Jacob away uh, to her her, her brother's house. As I've tried to say numerous times, um, uh, these are our people. We, when we read this story, we should not draw from it morals so much as see ourselves and the desperate need that we have. Because what we see in this text and what we will uh, unpack as we look at the kind of where this fits in the flow of the narrative of the Bible is that human beings are graspers. We're grasping after things all the time, even good things, even things that God may have promised us. uh, We may decide that even though God has promised us something good, we will use ungodly, sinful, immoral, maybe even hurtful means to accomplish that thing, which we think is a good thing. And what's so crazy about it is, and what we'll see happen over and over again, is that God is not tight or cheap with his blessing. He's actually lavish in his blessing, but we either can't wait for it or don't trust or don't believe it. And so we tend to grasp after what we think is due us. Um, Since it's summertime, I'm reading uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And uh, I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of Dickens, frankly, but a Christmas Carol is short, and so you can read it pretty quickly. And so one of the things that jumped out at me uh, this week as I was reading it was this description of Scrooge. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone. Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. <laughs> He's the richest guy in town, and yet he's a grasper. And the poorest, weakest, most vulnerable character in the story, the cripple, Tiny Tim, speaks words of blessing. God blesses everyone. Isn't that interesting, right? 
So as, as we look at the story and as we come at this today, I think it's, it's going to be helpful for us to think a little bit about what does it mean for God to make a promise of blessing to us? And what does it mean that God works through this particular family to accomplish the purpose that he wants to accomplish? And how does this challenge and encourage us today? So, and I want to do that by looking at these questions that Esau asks his dad. He says, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Have you but one blessing, my father? Because what's happened here is Jacob's grabbed after the blessing. Uh, Isaac heard the promise of God, and rather than uh, get in line with the promise of God, he's willing to give Esau the blessing. Esau is uh, hungry, and so he sells his birthright and then goes and demands this blessing, and Rebekah is a deceiver. And so this is one of the things that we have to, to, one of the things that we should look at ourselves in here, because the fact of the matter is, you and I are tempted all the time to grasp after things that maybe God has promised us, maybe they're good things, but we'll do almost anything to get approval or wealth or status or any number of those things, right? When we have the promise and the blessing of God, that we have everything we will ever need and more in his provision to us of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a couple of cultural assumptions that are going on in this text. And the cultural assumption is that the firstborn uh, either got uh, all of the uh, inheritance and was in fact to be kind of the image of his father, the, the actual reflection of his father, having his lands and his name and all of that sort of thing, um, it, later, uh, later on in the Old Testament, it becomes a thing where the oldest child doesn't get the whole inheritance. He just gets a double portion. But one of the things you, that you see about that cultural assumption in Genesis, when we kind of follow it along, is God subverts it from the very beginning. Because uh, what, what you'll notice is that uh, Adam and Eve, God's first children, right? Uh, he comes to them and he says to them, listen, I'm going, I, want, I want to bless you. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to cover the earth and I want you to rule. I want you to exercise dominion in my stead. I, I, I am with you. I am for you. I'm going to make your life a life of flourishing and wonder and beauty. And so as a result of that, what I want you to do is rule. And by rule, what I want you to do is oversee the blessing that I give to you for the sake of the whole world, right? They hear that from God, and then one day they're out picking fruit, and by deception, they see this fruit that looks good to eat. They're both standing there as the serpent tempts Eve, and Eve grasps the fruit grasping after something God-likeness more than what God had promised, and the world falls. And then the very next thing that we see is this broken marital relationship where they're throwing each other under the bus. Brief note, we just have read a story about a man and a woman deceiving each other with food, subverting the promise of God, and then having children 
who will, uh, because the promise has been subverted and because the order has been subverted, the younger, Abel, is preferred over the older, Cain. Cain kills Abel, just as Esau would kill Jacob if he could. A lot of similarities between these stories, and I think that was think that was Moses' intention, God's intention, as he does that, right? So this continues in this family until uh, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac's mom and dad, come along. God comes to Abraham and says, remember that promise I made that you would be fruitful and multiply and that you would rule over the world where Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation and through you, the whole world will be blessed. And so uh, Abraham and Sarah hear that, and they're like, great, we're old, we're, you know, we're not going to wait on this. And so Sarah hatches the plan where she gives Hagar, her servant, to Abraham. Abraham fathers a son through him, Ishmael, the oldest. And they think everything's going to be okay. But God, again, comes in, overturns that plan, and in their old age gives Sarah and Abraham Isaac. And then we read this about Isaac. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. Uh, some some uh, translations of that are, was laughing. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he's your offspring. So early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. And then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. And while he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him in, from Egypt. And so though Isaac is the chosen, because of the way Sarah and Abraham have treated Hagar and Ishmael, rather than taking in the, the sense that, you know, we've been given this authority, we've been given this blessing, we've been given this promise, even though we've subverted the promise of God by jumping ahead and having this child, rather than be a blessing to them, they send him out into the desert. And there are some Hebrew scholars who think that the 400 years that Israel spends in, in Egypt after, after Genesis into slavery in some ways is an answer to the way Sarah treated the Egyptian Hagar. 
And so what we see here is, is that though there are these cultural assumptions and though God is clearly choosing one line and one family to work through, the intention is for that family to be blessed and then that family to take that blessing and to bless others as they rule, as they become a great nation, as they expand, the gift of God to them is a gift for the whole earth. But rather than take God at his word in that, they keep grasping after these things and they take the blessing of God and they kind of make it into a commodity that they can trade and sell and leverage against each other and weigh against each other and use against each other to try to get the way that they uh, uh, want, uh, want life to be. But the fact is, the truth is, God's vision, God's plan, God's work is bigger than that. So much bigger than that. And so what he does is he even takes these people and their sinful intentions and their awful things that they do to one another, grasping after these things, and, and what does he do? He accomplishes his, his purpose anyway, right? And so it is a, it's a powerful picture for us to think a little bit about if, if God says to us, I will bless you, if God says to you, I will be with you, if God says to you, I'm going to do this work through you, I will be faithful to you, I will redeem you, I will draw you to myself, I will gift you, I will call you, I will be all of these blessings, nothing you or I could do is going to keep him from accomplishing that, right? And so what you see here is that we tend to think of God as being tight or slow or uh, cheap or grasping himself, and that he is tight with giving out his blessings. And then that leads us, tempts us then to think, I need to grasp after this because I, I, you know, I can't wait on God any longer. Next slide. So um, what we see here at the end of this story is the result of all this grasping, right? There's Isaac laying in the bed because he intended to bless Esau, even though he had heard the word from God that Jacob was the one to receive the blessing, is distraught, trembling violently because he knows he's been tricked. Esau sold his birthright, and yet now he is left bereft of, 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 a, of a blessing because Isaac is not as good as God. He won't, he won't give more than one blessing. Rebecca, who uh, launched this deception for the protection of her darling boy, has to send him away, and she'll never see him again. And Jacob, well, that's the rest of the story that we'll look at in coming weeks. So what are we to make of this? Well, the first thing that I want us to to see about this is um, that we have so much in common with these people. That's the first thing I want us to see, that we're graspers. Um, but the second thing that I want us to see about this is God continues the process of subverting birth order. There's a reason why we say that Jesus Christ is the second Adam. The first Adam was a miserable failure, but thanks be to God that there was a second Adam who obeyed and did what the first Adam did not do. And he did that precisely as Paul tells us in Philippians 2. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
He had an open hand. And through that open hand, the promise and the blessing of God comes through uh, to us. And so as we look at this and as we, as we think about this, you know, what a, what, a, what a terrible family situation, what terrible pain, what terrible angst, what just awful things come as a result of this. But at the very end of the book of Genesis, what we see is Joseph, uh, the son of Jacob, saying to his brothers who had sold him into slavery, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so the fact is, God takes this broken, uh, terrible family, works through them to fulfill his promise to, be, um, to bless all the earth. Uh, Becca put this great quote in at the beginning of the bulletin that I think is a great summary statement and something we, sh you know, that would be pretty important for us to take to heart. You know, what constant pain should we be spared if we really believe that God ever works for them that wait for him? Right? Um... And I think that's really the, the rub here for us this morning as we, as we look at this family is to, is to consider, can I rest? Can I just rest in the promise of God? Can I just rest in the gifts that God has given me now? Can I just wait on God to hear and respond and to move? Because he has proven himself faithful. The cross tells me that he loves me and that he is for me. Um, I, I, I hope that's a, a, a good word for us today. Um, I know that uh, my own heart, uh, my default is to grasp after things all the time. And I am plotting in my head all the time how to secure the thing that I want next, right? Thanks be to God, Jesus was not like that because as we read in the words of institution today, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let's confess our sins by using this uh, confession based on the, the Ten Commandments. O Lord our God, who brought his people out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and by Christ delivered us from sin, you have been faithful to keep all the promises of your covenant. But we, O Lord, have been a stiff-necked people who love unfaithfulness. We have loved other gods before you 
and become their servants. We have not worshipped you in spirit and in truth, so we have mocked your glory in heaven. We have used your name in vain and profaned your reputation on earth. We have desecrated your Sabbath because we have not trusted you to give us rest. We have not honored our fathers and mothers, and so we have proved ourselves rebels. We have hated our neighbors and murdered them in our hearts. We have made adulterers of ourselves in the lust of our eyes or in the deeds of our flesh. We have stolen honor and wealth and privileges that are not ours. We have lied and falsely accused, for we love gossip more than truth. We have coveted blessings which you wisely and righteously gave to others. O Lord, have mercy on us, for we have not kept your law. 